Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. We are in the middle of Unusual Suspects, our summer series, uh, and basically the, the the goal of this series is to highlight to you the lives and the legacy, the lives and legacies of a different people in the Bible that you would otherwise not hear about um, or that you've heard about once. I can bet, I will not bet, because it's the house of the Lord and we, would, we don't gamble here, but if I were going to bet, I bet that you've probably heard very little of this guy that I'm about to talk to you about. But first, I got a few unusual suspects in my own life that I want to show you. Can you pull up that first one for me, Kyle? Oh! Yes, Lord. I'm so sorry. She's turning red. I'm, so, I'm not sorry, but that is my wife. Everyone say, hey, Lauren. Yes, ma'am. That is my favorite picture of her. Uh, she's an unusual suspect because I moved here um, five years ago, and I was dating someone. I was dating someone. It was a long-distance relationship. And then I met her, and then I wasn't dating that person anymore. Uh, that is my lovely wife, Lauren McLean. Mm. All right. Can, can you go to the next one? It's titled Knucklehead. Knucklehead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, come on, clap it up for Cultimate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is an unusual suspect to me uh, because he came literally out of nowhere. Um, I wasn't intending on meeting him. He's from Southwest Kansas or from Jersey. He had never been to Jersey. I had never been to Southwest Kansas. But um, we found each other. And he is a little brother to me in the faith. Don't make me cry. Uh, little brother in the faith to me. And uh, my wife and I, uh, the Lord hasn't given us children yet. So he uses Colton to test my patience. Yeah. Yeah, but I love him. And I thank you for the accompaniment. This is going to be so weird. Let's get it. Uh, let's, let's go to the last one. It's a very old man. See, there we go. Uh, for those of you who don't know who this is, this is William Booth. William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army. Why is that important to this? Well, uh, in the early 90s, my that was such a long time ago. Um, in the early 90s, uh, my dad got clean, saved, and sober at a Salvation Army adult rehabilitation center. Uh, he got clean, saved, and sober, met Jesus, and then he met my mother. So if, at, at that Salvation Army. So if it uh, wasn't for the ministry of the Lord through this man's life, I don't think I'd be up here standing giving you this sermon, much less exist. Um, yes, the Lord used 
uh, three white people to bring me into the man I am today. Um, that that's important. That distinction is important to me. Clap it up. Clap it up. Y'all, you can be awkward if you want. That for me, it's real. It's real life. Um, God uses the entire body, no matter what color. Huh? Okay. Yeah, this this piano got me feeling some type of way. So I, I we going we gonna preach today. Uh, last year, many of you were here when I got a chance to open for Chris Tomlin at Red Rocks. How many of you guys remember that? Like, some of you, some of you. Okay, uh, I'm just gonna give you. I can't. I can't go on without giving you a little story from my life. But you guys were here for this, so I'll be very brief as best as I can about this story. Um, another unusual suspect in my life, uh, worship pastor, associate worship pastor, Melissa Pritchard. Can we clap it up for her? Yep. Uh, she sent me, she sent me a link, uh, to this competition. Uh, I don't even listen to the radio, but it was like this radio competition thing. And she said, uh, hey, maybe you should give this a try. And I was like, mm, I mean, Chris Tomlin, uh, okay. Okay. The, the catch was Red Rocks. I was like, this is Red Rocks. This is a big, 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 big deal. Okay. So I uh, turned in a little application and, and went to bed that night and didn't think anything of it uh, until April of that year, uh, last year. Until April of last year, I got a an email from somebody from the radio station saying, hey, we just need to do a quick interview with you. We just need to, uh, we're, we're down to the last, like, contestants. We need to, like, do an interview with you just to find out if you're our guy. I was like, well, of course. I'm the guy. So I'm available. Uh, and I sat here in this room, back in the sound booth there, and I got on a Zoom call, and we were just talking. We were talking about stuff. Uh, they were asking me questions. What's your, first crazy, what's your favorite Chris Tomlin song? And, and uh, how long have you been leading worship? And all these different things. And I should have known because his tone was very, like, I didn't know we were, they were filming it. They were, like, you know, screen recording or whatever. And uh, I should have known. Up pops Chris Tomlin on the screen. Did anybody see this video? You see my face? Ah, uh, hi. <laughs> um, yeah, like, he pops up on the screen and tells me that I got the opportunity to open for him at, at Red Rocks. And I remember just the joy and the excitement of the moment. And, and, and telling my mom, telling my wife, my wife, was in the middle of a school day. I called her like six times. Baby, pick up the phone. You're not going to believe it. Uh, she didn't, so I went to her school and, t and, and told her, I'm, I'm going. Um, I mean, it was just a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. Um, and, you know, like, it was a beautiful opportunity, but I was just the opener. I was just the opener. Has anybody ever been to a concert? Like, it's okay if you've never been to, like, a saved concert. You could have gone to a secular concert. That's okay. 
Show of hands. Anybody ever been to a concert? Okay, so most of the room. Uh, the opener is kind of like a, it's not required, okay? You can either have an opener or not. That was nice. You can either have uh, an opener or not. Um, and Chris Talman decided to have one. Let me tell you what the job of the opener is. This is very important. The job of the opener is to create an atmosphere of expectation for the main event. That's the job of the opener. The opener is not the main event. His name is not on the billboard. His name is not on the tickets. His name is, or his name or her name, or that band's name, they're not the... They're not the drawing point, okay? They're not the thing that pulls you in. This was a little bit different because there was a whole, like, what I found out to be nationwide search for the guy who's going to open for Chris Tomlin at Red Rocks. I had no idea. I think they chose me because I lived in Colorado and it was cheaper on their pockets. That's a whole other conversation. But the opener doesn't get a lot of shine, as it were. When I applied for that, my, I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew that I was going to be the opener, the guy who creates atmosphere of expectation for the main event. Why was I ready to do that? Well, that's because uh, I do that every single Sunday. My job here. You're going to hear a lot about my job this morning, okay? So just in case you have no idea who I am, if this is your first time to hear, welcome to Vanguard. I'm your worship pastor. You're about to get my whole job description in the next however many minutes we have. I create and facilitate an atmosphere of expectation for the main event. What's the main event? I'm glad you asked. The main event is the word of God. Huh? It's the word of God. That's the main event. It is not so that I can feel like a rock star for 25 minutes. It is not, my job is not for me um, to test out my singing ability on all you lovely people so you can say, wow, that Aaron guy can sing. Even with assist on his vocal cords, he can sing. That's not, that's not the point. The point of my job is to invite the Holy Spirit into this room to create an atmosphere of expectation so that you expect him to move in your life. That's my job. If, I, if I'm going to put it uh, on a foundation, I would, I would start there. Okay? That's my job. So, and that was my job at Red Rocks. And the truth was, uh, nothing really came of that vocationally. Uh, there was some whispers, some rumors. Oh, my gosh. What if Aaron gets invited on tour with Chris, with Chris Tomlin? We're a year removed. I don't even like Chris Tomlin like that. I mean, he cool. You know, he all right. But eh. there was some talks about me going on tour and doing all this cool stuff. And uh, none of that happened. Praise God. Praise God. None of that happened. The reason why I say praise God is because I got to come back here and love on my people. I got to come back here and love on my wife, love on Colton and Claudia, love on Melissa, love on Rand and Jenny and Danelle, 
my, my coworkers, my staff, the students. I, if I would have went on tour, I wouldn't have been able to go to camp. Yeah. Yeah. There, there you go. They're like, yeah, we... By the way, I'm a celebrity in the student ministry. Just so you know, I, like I'm, I'm really important to them, so watch your back, okay? Um, I, no, nothing came of that in the vocational sense. It didn't uh, launch my career into stardom. It didn't do any of the things that people were trying to get me to like make it out to be something that it, that it wasn't. A couple of years before that, the Lord asked me a question when I was in the secret place, spending some time with the Lord, uh, just me and him in my prayer closet. And he asked me a question. He said, Aaron, are you okay with not being the king? Are you okay with not being in charge? Are you okay with not being the center of attention? Now, I am the youngest of eight. I don't mind being the center of attention. I just don't mind it. But he said, Aaron, are you okay with not being the main event? Are you okay with not being that? I said, uh, yes, Lord. I'm okay with that. He said, good. Because you have my ear. You have my trust, and that's all you need. Nothing really came of that. And it wasn't, it's not self-deprecating to say so. I had a 15-minute set. 15 minutes. Our worship this morning was longer than 15 minutes. To just kind of give you a, a, a gauge, a point of reference. 15 minutes that I prepped for two months for that 15 minutes set. There were nights I didn't sleep, babe, am I right? There were nights I didn't sleep. There's nights that I cried tears of joy, but also tears of like confusion. I prayed for every person that would be on that stage. I prayed for the set list. I prayed for everyone who would be in that, that amphitheater. I prayed. And I did my 15 minutes, said, thank you, Jesus. And then I walked off the stage. And that was a... Monday night. On Wednesday, I was here leading midweeks. I came back to love my people. I say this in humility, but in honor of who you guys are and who uh, Pastor Kelly is and the culture of this church, I am, it is a high honor of my life to be the ace half of this church. It really is. It's a joy. It's a struggle, but it's an honor. It's a high, high honor. You're going to understand why that's important in just a little bit, because that's who we're talking about this morning. We are talking about Asaph. Say Asaph. Asaph. How, how many of you have heard that name before or read it? Okay. How many of you have heard a sermon on Asaph before? This is going to be good. This is going to be so good. Even if I do bad, it's going to be good because you don't have a point of reference. This is going to be good. Let's get your Bibles out, your, your programs, your internet devices, online, welcome. That was the longest intro ever. 
Now we're about to get into the, the scriptures. Go with me to First Corinthians, Corinthians, First Chronicles six. Let's go there together. First Chronicles six. Let's do that together. I'm gonna go there myself. First Chronicles six. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, there we go. Is that a dog? Did somebody just bark? Okay. Um, we're not going to read all of this, but I kind of want to get you uh, kind of the theme of this chapter is, is lineage. Uh, the sons of Levi, uh, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Uh, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uzziel. Um, the children of Amram, you know these names, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. The sons of Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Itamar. Um, we can go on forever because that's what this chapter is. It's this person beget, this person beget, this person. But let's jump down to verse 39. Verse 39. Are you there? All right. And his brother who? Asaph. His brother Asaph, who stood on his right hand, namely Asaph, the son of Berechiah, son of Shemiah. This is our intro and the first time we see the name Asaph in the scriptures. It's the first time we see it. First Chronicles 6, verse 39. That's what we get. And we don't get a lot. All we get is, and his brother Asaph, who stood on his right hand, namely Asaph, the son of Berechiah, son of Shemiah. So he's somebody's son. He's somebody's brother. And apparently he's very loyal because he's someone's right-hand man. That's all we get. Based off of the chapter that we're in, we can deduct that he is a descendant of Levi, which would make him a Levite. The Levites were priests, okay? They didn't get a piece of land when Israel went into uh, the promised land. Their promise and their portion, their portion, their blessing was the priesthood. The Levites were priests. God gave them as a gift, as a blessing, and as a promise, gave them the ministry of his presence. You following me? We also know that Asaph, that was down the line of Aaron, who was the first high priest. Okay? He was the first high priest in the Levitical order. It was started with him. Uh, and if you need that reference, go to Numbers 18 for that. But we're still looking at Asaph. So let's go now. This is, I told you it's going to be a lot of Bible. Are you ready? You still following me? All right, let's go to First Chronicles 15, chapter 15, verses 16 and 17. Are you there? If you're not there, say, wait on me. Cool. 
First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 16 and 17. David, that's King David we're talking about, also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and his brothers, Asaph, there we go, the son of Berechiah, and the sons of Merari, their brothers, Ethan, the son of Keshiah. Uh, we'll stop there. Okay. All right. We're getting somewhere. Here's the context of what you just read. King David uh, wanted to... King David wanted to build a temple for the Lord in Jerusalem, okay? He wanted to build a temple for the Lord in Jerusalem, but all he had was the Ark of the Covenant at the time. The manifest presence of God was in and of the Ark of the Covenant. It was God's presence amongst his people. You following me? So David decided until we get a temple, I'm going to have Levites and musicians, okay, the, the, the musicians, the priests, but they're also warriors. I'm going to have them surround the Ark of the Covenant day and night with worship. And they're going to minister to the presence of God on behalf of all of Israel. That was the Levitical job. David knew that, so he established that. Okay, does that make sense? Asaph was a part of that group of priests that surrounded the Ark of the Covenant and ministered to the presence of the Lord day and night. You following? Okay, great. Uh, it wasn't a typical processional, okay? Whenever the Ark of the Covenant went out, it was surrounded with priests on all sides. And it would go out before Israel whenever they went to battle, whenever they went out to get some groceries, whenever, whenever, whatever they needed to do, the presence of God preceded them and the Levites were there with them, was there with the presence of God. The best, the best way I can equivocate it is like the president's own band. It's the best of the best musicians that surround the president wherever he goes. Now, obviously, the president has secret service and agents and all that kind of stuff. But when the president walks into a room, whether it be with foreign dignitaries or otherwise, he is preceded by his band, the president's own band. This is the closest equivocation maybe I could I could make, okay? This is this is the Lord's own team to follow his presence wherever he goes. In those verses, you see a few names. You see a name, uh, Heman, Ethan, and Asaph, okay? Heman, Ethan, and Asaph. They were all Levites. And another thing that you need to know as we continue is that, is that the Levites were broken up into like military divisions, Okay? Remember, the Levites were not just priests. They were warriors, okay? They were intercessors. Their job was to go before the actual uh, army of Israel with the presence of God. They were the first into battle. They had to know how to fight. They were warriors. They were broken up into military divisions. And Asaph 
was a leader of his own division. You following me? So he's the best of the best. He is the he is a part of the joint chief of staffs as it relates to the Levites. Okay, this is a lot of school. This is a lot of Bible school. I'm sure you haven't heard a lot about Asaph. This is this is who he was. We'll go a little bit deeper. Go with me to First Chronicles 25. We'll go verses 1 and 2. First Chronicles 25. The heading of my Bible says, David organizes the musicians. David and the chiefs, this is verse 1, David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jeduthun who prophesied, someone say prophesied, with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. Wait a minute, you telling me that you can prophesy and not speak a word? Save that for later. They prophesied with instruments, the scripture says. The list of those who did the work and of their duty, excuse me, was of the sons of Asaph, Zachar, Joseph, Netanya, uh, uh, Netaniah, excuse me, Netaniah, and Asherah, sons of Asaph, under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied, say prophesied, under the direction of the king. Who's the king? David. So at the very beginning of this chapter, we see David has appointed Asaph, for what we like to call, this is super Christian, get ready, prophetic ministry. David has appointed Asaph for prophetic ministry. What's prophetic ministry? Prophetic ministry is not just about uh, ministering from your past or your history or your testimony. Prophetic ministry is about ministering what the Lord is saying to you right there in the moment in real time. That's how we operate as as prophetic worshipers. I know that word prophetic is a little bit scary. What does that mean? Is that in the Bible? I mean, clearly it is. My job, one of my jobs, is to operate like that in this house. We know that uh, Pastor Kelly himself uh, has a prophetic mantle on his life. The Lord gives him things. He then tests those things up against the word of God. And then he releases those things. I do the exact same thing, except that I put melody, lyric, and what we call meter to those things that the Lord has said. You following me? So this was Asaph's job. Asaph was appointed in the prophetic as his role. He was a prophet, okay? David trusted him to be a prophet, amongst other things. And the reason why this is a big deal is because David, in his role, was prophetic. As the king of Israel, he was prophetic. He was, he was tasked with hearing the word of the Lord and to lead the people out of those words. 
Furthermore, the Psalms are known for being prophetic. The Psalms are known for being prophetic. While Jesus was on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. David wrote that thousands of years before Jesus was, came to the earth. So the Psalms were prophetic, okay? All right. This is important. The reason why this is, the reason why this is important is because in order to be prophetic, you have to know God. Someone say, know God. In order to be prophetic, you have to know his voice. You have to know what he says. Not just what he's saying in the moment, but you have to know his word. You following me? So this is our first point about Asaph. Asaph had to know God for himself. He didn't just know God because, he didn't just know God because David told him, you got to get to know God. David appointed him to a prophetic mantle, a ministry, which means that David saw something familiar in Asaph. You must know the same God I know. I'm going to put you in charge of hearing God on behalf of Israel. And you're going to lead the people in worship from that place. Why is that important to us? That's important to us because that's exactly what I do. That's exactly what Melissa does. One of our jobs is to hear God on your behalf in real time. In real time. But that means that we have to know the word. I have to test what I'm hearing before the Lord. I have to test what I'm hearing. I have to, I have to posture myself before the Holy Spirit. Lord, did you say this? Did you say that? I did. Okay, well, show me in your word where you said it. Sometimes I can't do that. I can't just whip up a Bible right in the moment. But David said, I had hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Translation, I, I memorized your words so that I don't miss the mark. That's the translation. That's my job. That's one of my jobs. I have a lot of jobs. That's one of my jobs. Melissa did so beautifully this morning. She got a word from the Lord about some family situations. And while she was trying to lead us in that moment, I know because I can, I've been there. She's like, I, I don't, okay, there's someone, and in her heart, she's seeing if that belongs to anybody in the room. And she's taking a step of faith to say it out loud in hopes that one of you who's dealing with whatever she said will say, wow, God sees me. Wow, okay. There's no way she could have known that. Aaron, do you have a Bible for that? Yes, I do. In the last days, sons will be turned against their fathers, mother, mothers against their daughters. So what she's saying is not out of biblical context. You see what I'm saying? You see how that works? We're going to all do this a little bit later. It's going to be a hoot. It's going to be very, very fun. Okay. Let me move on. 
Asaph knew God for himself. So it's our job, me, Melissa, Pastor Kelly, to take what we're hearing from the Lord in real time. And for us, we put it towards melody. That's the scale. da 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 Right? And lyric, what's lyric? Basically making it singable for you. Okay? Making it singable. And the last thing, meter. That's time. We have a tempo. Okay? That's meter. Our job is to take, this is a lot, is to take what the Lord is saying. Lord, you're saying something to me. Is it for me? Is it for them? Okay. It's for me. It's for them. I'm going to take what you say, hold it against your word, see if it's really true, test it, right? And then I'm going to put it to melody, lyric, and meter, and make this thing that you've given me approachable and singable for everyone in the room, for every single person in the room. That, that is, that is, that's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. But we do this in accordance with Zephaniah 3.17. It simply says, he rejoices over us with singing. He rejoices over us with singing. He rejoices over you with singing, so I rejoice over you with singing. That was Asaph's job. That's my job. That's one of the things that I do. Okay. Let's move on from Asaph for a little bit, or me. Let's move on to, to King David. We know a lot about King David, don't we? We know about David and Goliath. We know about uh, David and Saul, his struggles with Saul. Uh, we know about David and Bathsheba. We know about David's uh, pitfalls and victories. We know how David felt about David's pitfalls and victories. Why? Because he wrote about it. David, David wrote about almost everything that went down in his life. He wrote about everything. We know so much about him because he wrote about it. The Psalms are a lot of things, but if anything, they're an expose of David's innermost thoughts. One moment he's like, God, you're, you're so holy and you're ever present. And then the next verse, literally, God, why aren't you here? You're so distant from me. I don't understand why you, why you have went away. We know so much about David through the Psalms. But we also know about Asaph through the Psalms. And what made Asaph's position so unique in the kingdom was his proximity to the king. You catch that? He was not the king. He was not the main event. But he did have the trust and the ear of the king. You see what I'm saying? Asaph was not the king. He was not in charge, but he did have the authority that the king gave him. David trusted him. 
So much so that Asaph is known to turn songs and psalms of David's deepest, darkest stuff into congregational music. Now, let me ask you a question. Just a quick question. This is rhetorical. You don't have to answer it. Um, think about uh, the most embarrassing moment you've ever had. And just by a show of hands, does anybody want me to turn that into a song? Okay, maybe a few people. All right. Most people don't. No, thank you. Most people don't want to, don't want their most embarrassing or their lowest point turned into song. David, we know this story. Uh, David uh, sees Bathsheba. Isn't that funny? Her name is Bathsheba. We we saw Bathsheba having a bath. Just okay. Y'all 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 are y'all are locked in. All right. <laughs> David saw Bathsheba taking a bath. He said, ooh, I want that. And he proceeded to do what uh, godly kings that already have a wife shouldn't do. He went and pursued her, got her, got her pregnant, and uh, tried to get her husband to be with her, to cover up his sin, and when that didn't work, he had her husband killed on the front lines. Why? Because he's the king. He can do that. A prophet, Nathan, comes to David and says, yo, let me tell you a story about a king who just royally beefed it. And David goes, oh, you show me to that person right now. I'll kill him. David, uh, that's you. What? Oh my gosh. David realizes his sin and he repents. He repents of the sin after Nathan brings it to them. And then, get this, and I understand this as a songwriter, David takes his grief, his sadness, his, his uh, depression, right? His repentive, like, state, repentant state. He takes that, and then he starts to write a psalm. Let's go to it, Psalm 51. Let's go to that psalm together. And you know what? We're not even going to read it. We're not even going to read the psalm. I just want to show you, I just want to show you something really cool. Your header probably says, creating me a clean heart, oh God, or something like that. Uh, or a prayer of repentance, something like that. But right under it in my Bible, it says, to the choir master. That's the first thing it says. To the choir master. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him. After David had went to Bathsheba. Hmm. To the choir master. 
Scholars believe that that choir master is Asaph. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, let's get this straight, y'all. Let's get this straight. Let's get this straight. David has the greatest blunder of his life. The greatest blunder of his life. Commits adultery and murder in one fell swoop. Just He falls. He repents. He grieves. He gets back up. He writes a song. And then he goes to his producer and say, yo, I just wrote this song. Did you hear about me and Bathsheba? Okay, um, I, I just wrote this song. This could be fire. I don't know, man. This could be, this could be really good. Can you, uh, get, can you grab a harp or something? I just want to sing this real quick. Can you imagine what ASAP's response was? Really? You want me to take your greatest moment of embarrassment and fear and sin and turn it into a song? Yep, that's about the size of it. What's more shocking to me, especially as a songwriter, is that Asaph does it. He does it. He takes the song, he takes the psalm, of David's sorrow and turns it into a song. Get this. This is a, this is a, this is a gas. That psalm, Psalm 51, is sung still today in synagogues, in mosques, and in churches everywhere. Everywhere. There's not a, there's not a person who knows God that doesn't know the story of David and Bathsheba. Why? Because David wrote about it and then entrusted his story to someone that will make it relatable for everyone. This is a big deal. This is a big deal for someone like me because this is the model of modern Christian songwriting. Me as a poet, I love this kind of stuff. I wonder why Asaph said yes. It had to be a risk, surely. It had to be a risk. I wonder if, point number two, Asaph understood humanity. Asaph understood humanity. Not just David's, but his own. Asaph understood humanity. He understood what it was like to be a man riddled with skill and talent. A man riddled with power and temptation. He knew what it was like to be just a man. What does that mean for me and you as Vanguard Church? Quite simply, it means that uh, you can trust me 
no matter what day it is, you can trust me to be human. I'm human. And to be honest, I think, I think maybe, just maybe, G, just maybe, you want a pastor that's human. You want a pastor that understands cancer or what it does to a family. You want a pastor that understands um, grief, pain. You want a pastor, you want pastors that understand um, having a prodigal child or what that could do to a parent's heart. You want a pastor that can understand barrenness, the inability to have kids. You want pastors and a pastor that can understand that. Why? Because they're going to speak right to your situation, whatever it is. You want a pastor that understands that, uh, that pre-church argument in the car. You, you want a pastor that can understand that. Not so that they can just write a song about your problems. No. So that when you come to church to meet with God, he doesn't feel so far away. Did you hear me? You want somebody that can connect with you so that when you come to meet with God, he doesn't feel so distant. Perfection doesn't necessarily seem so far away. Or maybe it does. And either way, you're okay with that. Because there's somebody on the stage, somebody of authority, to say, hey, me too. I've been through it too. I understand that. Jesus was like that. Jesus was like that. In Hebrews 4.15, he says, for we do not have a high priest. The writer of, of uh, Hebrews says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sim- sympathize with our weaknesses. Can I get an amen? But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You want someone who is willing to come down from their role, to come down from their position and meet you in our common humanity. That's what you want. You don't want somebody, and I'm just being honest here, you don't want somebody who's like unapproachable. The veil was torn for that. You don't want somebody who's unapproachable. You want somebody up here who has clay feet who understands what you're going through. My particular role, in my particular role, I know what you're going through. I understand. I know the pain. I know the sorrows. It is a great calling on my life, great honor in my life to take what you're going through, your pain, and turn it into praise. To take your sorrows and make them into songs. That's my job. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm sure Asaph loved it too. Asaph had to watch his friend, King David. King David was his friend. Fall, repent, lose his son 
grieve and get back up again. Reliving those moments over and over until it was palatable enough for a nation to identify with. That was Asaph's job. That was his responsibility. Yeah, Asaph was called to a lot, but I think if we were to boil it down, I'd say point number three, Asaph made worship out of every moment. Asaph turned every moment into worship. He turned every moment into worship. So, here's what we're gonna do. This is this is. I'm a little, I'm a little bit nervous. Are we? Are you still with me? Okay. Here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna we're gonna. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna all be like ASAPs right now. In just just a moment. I'm gonna invite the, the team back up. I'm a little nervous. We did this in the first service. It went great, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We're all we're all gonna be ASAPs right now. You're gonna see a little bit of what I get to do on a daily basis. These aren't even prescription. I just think they made me look cool. All right. What you going to do? I need, oof, this is a bigger, bigger congregation. I need some of your favorite scripture verses. Before you, before you do, John 3.16 is off the table as well as anything like what we just read in 1 Chronicles 6. This person beget, this person beget, this person beget. I'll go ahead and say uh, Samson and Delilah are also off limits. So I need two people to just shout out your favorite scripture verse. Isaiah 40, verse 8. Okay, hold on, don't, don't. Someone else, just give me a second. Isaiah 40, verse 8. Yeah, that's good. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Is that it? Oh, if it's not it, I'm going to look so bad. So let's see. Okay. Romans, where are you after Acts? Okay. Romans 1.16. I'm going to read the whole thing. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. Amen. Amen. All right, I'll put my put my in here back in. Woo! Okay. 
Isaiah 40, verse 8. Let me go back there real quick. for writing songs. This is very real. I'm like a little nervous. <laughs> We're going to combine those two scriptures together to create a prayer chorus that we're going to use during our during our communion times. Does that sound cool? Like this is happening real time in the moment. If it's bad, it's hey, just it's going to be great, Candace. All right, here we go. Ready? was not that uh, he had the trust of the king even. The beauty of Asaph's life was that he took his humanity and the humanity of others and turned it into praise unto God. The mundane, the miraculous, the beautiful, the ugly, the highs, the lows, all of it. He took all of it and made it relatable for every single person under his leadership. That's my job. That's my duty. And it's an honor to do it for you. It's an honor to do it unto the king to turn your sorrows into songs. To turn your pain into praise. It is my honor to do that. But now the question is, what does that mean for you? Well, Pastor Aaron, I don't sing. 
Pastor Aaron, I don't have an instrument. I don't play an instrument. I don't really much care. What I care about is knowing that no matter the season of life you're in, you can turn. You can turn it. Every sorrow, every grief into a response back to the Lord. That's what worship is. Response back to the Lord. You can do it. You don't need music to do that. You know that. You don't need a singer to do that. Does that make sense? We just turned these two scriptures into a prayer chorus. It's not because the Lord has gifted me to do that. It's just because I know what it's like to be in a low place. And when I literally have nothing else to sing, your word stands forever. When I have nothing else to sing, when you have nothing else to sing, I encourage you to be like Asaph. Maybe you're interceding for someone. I don't know. Maybe there's a, um, there's a prodigal that hasn't come home. Maybe you got a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew that doesn't know Jesus yet and you're scared for them. Maybe somebody in your family's dealing with cancer or some other ailment that's ruining their quality of life. You don't have to do this in order to worship. I hope this encourages you. I really do. I hope it encourages you, but I also hope that you take the risk of opening your Bible and entering into that place with the Lord, holding your problems up against his promises. And making songs out of sorrow. That, that's my hope. Your word stands forever. One more time. The grass will wither. The flower fades. But your word stands forever. And I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Cause your word stands forever, yes. The grass will wither, hey, the flower fades, but your word stands forever, yes. I'm not ashamed, I'm not afraid, cause your word stands for Father, we we thank you this morning. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. 
we encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.